0: If you want to open up in your Bibles to Galatians 4, we're going to be going through Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7 today. And it reads, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You know, um, I love surprises. And uh, I'm the kind of guy that doesn't even want to um, watch movie trailers, right? Because there might be something in there that gets revealed that, uh, that will spoil it for me now uh my son on the other hand is super excited i'm two but is super excited about the new star wars movie and so he is watching everything he can right logan he's watching everything he can to get more and more information on it so there's tons of these videos on youtube that just break down frame by frame. And they stop and they say, what's that up in the corner? And I said, what planet are they on? Who's that? Who's that? And he watches these things and he, and he loves it. Him, him and uh, he they, and they were watching them yesterday. And he comes up to me and he's, he's excited. He's, Dad, do you want to know about this? Do you want to know about that? And I'm like, no, I don't want to know. I want to be surprised. And he's like, but Dad, but this, but this planet, but this, this thing. And I'm like, no. I'm like, la, 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 la keeps on, keeps on. I'm like, you're grounded. Go to your room. I'm not what you would call a big planner either. Uh, And that works out pretty well for me in that if you don't plan real well, you get a lot of surprises, right? Growing up, I would have never imagined that I would be up here preaching a sermon. Surprise! God had other plans. I didn't want to know the sex of my children before they were born. And so we had already had two girls, and uh, the third one was coming. And it was very similar to the other two pregnancies. And so we just figured, okay, there's another girl coming, right? Surprise! It was a boy. These are the good surprises. Now, Michelle, Michelle's a planner, right? She doesn't like surprises. So uh, I kind of drive her crazy sometimes, I think. You know, I'm in charge of the bills, and so, hey, I forgot to pay the electric bill. Surprise! (laughs) She plans our vacations and uh, not me. And so part of the vacation for me is just, uh, you know, having the surprise of, or not having to plan the vacation is part of the vacation for me. Uh, So I get to be surprised, and she keeps us from being stranded in airports, right? We're a good team. Not wanting to be surprised, not, Michelle not wanting to be surprised works out pretty good because if you think about it, planning a surprise takes a lot of planning. And so that's not my department. But there is one thing that I have planned, and that was my wedding proposal. Michelle and I started dating at 15. You can see a picture of us here. This is actually our very first date. And my dad was somewhere uh, with his camera, and he took a picture of this. And I'm very glad that I have it today. But at the time, I was like, this is kind of creepy, right? <laughs> but he was very proud. Um, and so we started dating at 15. We were high school sweethearts. Before we could even drive, we started dating. And I remember it was Christmas time. And I went to buy Michelle some, some expensive piece of jewelry. And I'm in the jewelry store. Uh, and I started thinking about it. And I'm like, you know what? I could put this money towards a wedding ring. And that's what I did. I, I put it back, and I started saving, and I started planning. And um, we'd been dating about five years, and we were both still in college, which was hard. Um, We wanted to get married, but there was a lot of things in the way, a lot of planning that had to be done, a lot of things that needed to be accomplished. Um, It was tough, and I don't recommend it. We even agreed not to talk about those kind of conversations. Well, wouldn't it be great when we're married? It becomes difficult, right? And so I remember talking to my dad when I would saved up enough money. He took me down to L.A. I bought the ring, had the ring. I looked at it like every day. And I, and I remember uh, when the fi- uh, going out to, to talk to her dad. I took the day off work. I drove out to Palm Springs. I went and asked for permission, did all that kind of stuff. When the day finally came, um, we drove down to La Jolla and we spent the day walking around, hanging out, shopping a little bit, and I was incredibly nervous. And I was trying to plan it just right so that we would get down beyond the cliffs, in front of the water, right at sunset, and I would ask her. And I remember she kept wanting me to go into one more store and one more store, and so she was in a store and she was like, wouldn't this be great in our house someday? And I kind of gave her that look and she knew, uh, all right, we're not gonna talk about it. So we went down, we went to the shore, um, overlooking the ocean, it was sunset, it was perfect. I got down on one knee, um, fumbled around for the ring. And there was actually some people that were down there and uh, they kind of gathered around us. They knew what was going on and uh, I asked for, Her hand in marriage, I asked her to be my wife, and then uh, I heard those those words that you want to hear in response to a proposal, right? She said, how? And I'm standing there, and people are watching. She says, how? How? Michelle's a planner, right? She wanted to know how this was all gonna work out. She finally said yes, and we did figure it out. All right? Look at that hair, that's gorgeous hair right there. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about planning. We're going to talk about God's planning for the redemption of mankind, the when in our Advent series, When Love Came Down. Let me pray for us. Um, God, in this, we thank you for uh, this day, for this uh, time together as a family, uh, for this season of Advent that we would, um, God, we long to be in your presence we are amazed by your timing, and we want that um, amazement to, to to transition to to um, change our hearts into trust, God. That you're in control, then you know what is best, God. Um, we thank you for your word, and I pray that um, today hearts and minds can be changed uh, to have faith to trust in your timing and your plans. We pray this in Christ's name, Amen. All right, Galatians 4 says, in the fullness of time. And so fullness here means complete or filled up. And so this is the time when Jesus took on flesh. And it was politically, economically, culturally, religiously, perfectly aligned. Let me say that again. The time when Jesus appeared in the world was politically, economically, culturally, and religiously perfectly planned for the purpose of redemption and the proclamation of the gospel. All that was needed was there. It was go time. Here's what was going on historically. The Roman Empire, brutal as it was, had brought about a time without war, a time when literature, the arts, architecture, commerce, and political and economic stability could flourish under what was called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, and this included the Roman legal system, the Praetorian Guard acting as a police force, and Julius Caesar, the great Roman ruler, having just declared himself dictator of the Roman world and abolishing the Roman Republic, was then killed when several members of the Roman Senate assassinated him. And later, Octavian, Julius Caesar's great nephew and adopted son, he manipulated his way into the position as sole ruler of the Roman world. In one of his initial acts, he actually closed down the temple uh, for the Roman god of war, Janus. Uh, He laid down his military supremacy over Egypt, and for the first time in 200 years, it was a sign that peace had finally returned to the empire. He was then given the title of Augustus, which means majestic or most eminent. He used the state religion then to control the people and became the high priest, or pontifex Maximus and promoted himself as divine, right? Imagine a political leader who then says, not only am I a great leader, but I'm divine. I'm godlike, right? He was known after his death as Caesar Augustus. And so under his rule, the Roman Empire covered the entire Italian peninsula, modern day Slovenia and Croatia, the Greek peninsula, Western Asia Minor, Syria, modern day Libya, the area around modern-day Tunisia, modern-day Spain and Portugal, modern-day France, Belgium, parts of the western Germany, southern Holland, and the islands of the Mediterranean. The Roman Empire was huge. As well as a military empire, Rome was also a trading empire. And so this brought about an economic gain for the people there. Large amounts of corn and wheat had to be now imported to feed its growing population. And so, Rome constructed these transportation system of five main highways in all directions from the ancient world so that, as the saying goes, all roads lead to Rome. Prior to and during the Roman rule was the spread of Hellene or Greek culture under Alexander the Great and the periods that followed. This Hellenization spread Greek language, writing, technology, art, philosophy, and religion. We see this in the Septuagint, the Old Testament translated into Greek, which began in the 3rd century B.C., and the New Testament also being written primarily in Koine Greek. Even Greek forms of names replace the Semitic ones. So Yeshua becomes Jesus. And concepts like the Logos, right, from John 1, which says, in the beginning was the Logos, or word, And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. Jesus was the Logos, which also means logic or reason or principle and thought. This comes from Greek philosophy. The Greek language became an almost universal language in the ancient world and was the foundation of trade, culture, and philosophy. The ancient world was poised religiously as well. When the failure of paganism and the burden of Judaism run amok with legalism combined Um, combined together, there was this revival, this longing for the messianic hope. And the stage was set for Christ's arrival. The Jews were under Roman-imposed kingship of Herod the Great, who was given the title King of Judea. Herod was a tyrannical, murderous monarch. He uh, He was willing to even kill his own family if he thought they might threaten his rule or his reign. And so centuries earlier in Persia, a priest named Zoroaster was given a vision. Um, they were a, a polytheistic religion. And this vision changed him from polytheism to monotheism, right? He was, he was persecuted for it. He believed in the uncreated creator. He believed to be, quote, the beginning and the end, the creator of everything that can and cannot be seen, the eternal, the pure And the only truth. And so Zoroastrianism developed, as it developed, it held several core beliefs in common with Judaism. The Jews and Persians lived side by side for over five centuries, so the Zoroastrian priests had access to sacred Jewish texts. And because astrology was a big part of their religion as well, um, and having access to these sacred texts, they would have known about. Uh, the Messianic prophecy in Numbers 2417, which talks about a star coming forth from Jacob, a scepter shall rise from Israel. They also would have been attuned to what was going on in the skies. They would have been sensitive to any unusual movement of the stars. And this is what sent these wise men searching. So Jesus came in God's perfect timing. Part of that timing was in fulfillment, of God's plans and his promises, and he prophesied about the Messiah to give hope and longing for Christ. And he would now fulfill those prophecies as a demonstration of his power and Christ's revealed majesty and identity. And so Jews, under this harsh Roman rule, were longing for Messiah to come, to reign and to rule. We see even the Samaritan woman uh, at the well says to Jesus, I know the Messiah is coming he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And so these, uh, these magi um, came looking to worship the king of the Jews, Matthew tells us in his gospel. Galatians 4, 4 says, God, uh, God sent forth his son. I'm only five words into the, the, sermon, the passage today. Um, Isaiah prophesied, Seven years, 700 years prior that um, in Isaiah 9, 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And so this, this, uh, this passage in Galatians says, God sent forth his son, and the father sent Jesus. This demonstrates his preexistence. As the eternal son of the trinity that the messiah would be both born as isaiah says and given this demonstrated both his humanity and his divinity he is god eternal the passage continues born of a woman and god says to satan in genesis three fifteen, and i will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel So this is the first of the many messianic prophecies uh, fulfilled by Christ. It states that the Messiah will suffer, but ultimately triumph over the devil. And that through God, and though God could have come in many ways, He comes to earth as all mankind has, uh, apart from Adam, He's born of a woman. Paul uses born of a woman here in contrast to the Um, the genealogies that were given at the time that were a succession of men. Jesus, unlike all mankind, was born without a man, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, fulfilling Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And so Micah 5.2 prophesies that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. We know from historical sources like Flavius Josephus that Augustus ordered a census to be taken every 12 years. We also have records that those took place in 8 B.C. and 6 A.D. And because it would take two or three years for a census to be completed, Luke, this historian in his gospel, is describing the census of 8 B.C., And he's explaining why why Jesus of Nazareth then was born in Bethlehem. We also know that Herod died in 4 BC, and so Jesus' birth probably took place around 6 or 5 BC. Uh, Herod is talked about in both Matthew and Luke's Gospel. It's also prophesied that the Messiah would come from the line of Abraham, a descendant of, of Isaac and Jacob, from the tribe of Judah, and be an heir to David's throne. And so it's not simply that God knew that these things would happen, that Jesus would fulfill this lineage, but that God was working in and through those lives, coordinating Christ's genealogy. Our passage continues. Born under the law. And so Jesus being born under God's law was a servant to God, fulfilling Isaiah's prophecies of the servant Messiah. From his circumcision at eight days to obeying his parents to his celebration of Passover just before his death, Jesus lived in full obedience to both the ceremonial, moral, and civil law. So, the when that we're talking about today also reveals the why. God's perfect timing had a purpose. And so our passage in Galatians 4:5 says, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. And so flip just back a little bit, uh, chapter three, verses 24 through 26. uh, Paul says, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The ordinances of the Old Testament were a foreshadowing of Christ. The sacrifices, the tabernacle, and then the temple, the priesthood, they were all pointing us to Christ. Also, the law was teaching. It was a teacher. It was demonstrating what was good and right and our our inability to keep it. In order for the world to understand Jesus, it first had to understand why we needed Jesus. We were guilty before God and in need of a Savior. As we follow along in our passage, Galatians 4-5 continues, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And this is what blows my mind. God forgives, and He's under no um, obligation to do that. None at all. But He does. And then He justifies us by His own sacrifice so that we're right with Him. And so we're made right. It's fixed. And yet God still goes further. This is the crazy, radical love that God shows for us through adoption. He brings us into the family of God. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. And the price of that adoption, the price that God pays, was the death of His own Son. It says in verse 6 that God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So Abba is this, this intimate, Arabic word. Dearest Father would be our closest translation. And so the name of God was so sacred in the Jewish world, in the minds of the Jews, that it wasn't even spoken. And yet here is Jesus calling out to the God of the universe, the Holy One, Abba. And Paul says here that because of the Spirit of Christ residing in each one of us who believe, we too have that intimate connection with God the Father so we are no longer slaves but heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ Romans 8:17 this passage is the perfect advent passage and it takes us from Christ's birth to being heirs with Christ an advent comes from the latin adventus which means coming and it's usually associated or was associated with the coming of a king And so it comes from the Greek word perusia, which the New Testament uses to refer to Jesus' second coming, actually. Advent for Christians, then, is a time of preparation to meet the King through repentance, prayer, and worship. And if you follow the news, if you've been watching what's going on, it's not been good. Last couple of weeks, and this week especially, we've seen loss of life, acts of evil, It can be overwhelming. The response from our leaders, the response from the culture can be depressing, lead us to despair. But God has provided the remedy in Advent. Advent is good news in the midst of all the bad news. So what's Advent really about? It's more than just a countdown to Christmas. Advent has been historically, when Christians focus on God's redemptive acts in history, through His first coming and the hope that Christ is coming again. The incarnation of Christ and His promise to come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. There's human longing for everything to be set right. We see the rewards of Christ coming as we look forward to His arrival. We can't help but examine our lives in light of these truths. Because of what has happened and in the hope of His coming, we are to be what He has called us to be. We are to be sons and daughters of the King. We are joint heirs with Christ and to be about God's kingdom. And so we sang the song this morning, O Come, Emmanuel, one of my favorite songs. I love the the version that, that Adam did today. It says, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It says, I'm sorry, Uh, the, The song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, says, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. And at the end it says, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come again with us to dwell. And so we're to rejoice even when the news is bad because the news that really matters is the good news of the gospel. God has dealt with sin and evil by coming in human form, Humbling Himself, being a servant, obedient to the point of death on a cross, bringing our salvation. God has provided the ultimate solution for those that are His. And when He comes again, He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death or pain and everything will be made right. Advent, then, is the call to share the gospel as well. This should be the overflow of our rejoicing. And we see that God has prepared in his perfect timing a great opportunity to share the gospel. Roman gods, state run religions, Greek mythology, these were proving ineffective at the time. The truth of Christianity, grounded in reality and history, morality and reason, proved persuasive against fable and tradition. Look, we had this history lesson this morning, not just for the sake of history. But because God is active and moving in history for a reason. Because of the relative peace and under Roman rule and safety and ease of travel due to the Roman road systems, the gospel was then spread by early Christians. We can read these accounts in Acts and Paul's letters. Trade and military recruitment then extended the spread of the gospel to these outlying regions. And finally, the siege on Jerusalem and the Despora forced Jewish Christians to flee into Asia and Africa and Europe to spread their beliefs even further. I often hear uh, the claim from atheists that because the Savior only came um, as recently as 2,000 years ago, relatively late in the timeline of human history, that our so-called God became, comes too late to the game subjecting the vast majority to suffer while he waited, biding his time. On the other hand, they often argue as well that they might have reason to believe if God had just revealed himself, not to an ancient culture of um, an oral tradition and primitive writings, but why didn't he come in the YouTube age, right? Why didn't he come in the video age? Well, which is it? Is God mistaken for sending Jesus too late or too soon? Eric Kreps of the Survey Research Center of the University of Michigan's Institute for Social Research, say that 10 times fast, answers this question. He says, uh, Kreps, a numbers guy, he notes that it's not the number of years, but the size of the human population that's the issue. The Population Reference Bureau estimates the number of people who have ever been born is about 105 billion of this number, only about 2% were born before Christ came to earth. It's interesting. Here's a quote from Krebs. He says, so in a sense, God's timing couldn't have been more perfect. If he'd come earlier in human history, how reliable would the record of his relationship with man be? But he showed up just before the exponential explosion in the world's population. So even though 90% of of humanity's timeline had passed, only 2% of humanity had previously been born. So 98% of us have walked the earth since the redemption. And so this time politically, economically, culturally, religiously, was that luck? No. It was orchestrated by God from all eternity to happen like a symphony conductor. He knows the piece of music. He knows how it should sound. He controls the tempo, requiring more from the strings at times and quieting the percussion at other times. He uses the heroes of faith, and He uses those that don't even know Him, that don't trust in Him. He uses you, and He uses me, and He even uses the evil that men do for His and our ultimate good. So God is sovereign. He's not, He's a He's a symphony conductor. He's not sitting in a room uh, working on digital tracks. Our lives are not digital tracks. Do you ever worry about the political climate? The economy? Do you ever look at the state of our culture and think, well, there's nothing redeemable here? Do you look at the condition of the church at large and think, he's got to be coming back at any minute because this is broken and beyond repair? I do sometimes. I need to repent of that. The Jews had been waiting for centuries, wondering when their Messiah would come. But God's timing was perfect. Do you ever wonder if God will answer your prayers? Do you ever doubt? Give up hope? What are you waiting for in God's timing? Looking back, we can see all the incredible ways in which God and His hand was at work politically, Economically, culturally, religiously, and even in the midst of it, I'm sure it was difficult to see. Joseph finds out his fiance is pregnant. Mary and Joseph have, they've got to travel where? Right now? She's pregnant. And whose great idea was that? All right, the government, yeah who even elected this guy? On the way to Bethlehem, they passed soldiers and construction workers building roads and bridges. What do you mean there's no room here? She's about to give birth. We have to stay where? Do you see the condition that she's in? But think about it. Except for a few astrologers and shepherds, when God came down, it was largely unnoticed by men. For believers, our response to evil shouldn't be despair because we know God is sovereign. He's in control. Even when we don't see or understand why he's allowing evil, God will act and move and respond in his perfect timing. For those that are his, we know that there is there's meaning and there's purpose to life, even what, in what may seem like random evil acts. For those in Christ, any evil that we experience in this life is not God's wrath being poured out on us. It might be discipline, because he disciplines those he loves. But Jesus has taken the punishment for sin. The wrath that we stored up was poured out on him in our place on the cross. We must stand strong in the knowledge that God is righteous and that his justice will prevail. We have to trust his judgment and that he has uh, your best interests in mind. After all, for all who believe, who trust in him, you are his adopted sons and daughters— and our inheritance is in Christ. Let me pray. God, we, uh, we want to trust more fully in you, in your plans, in your um, sovereignty, God. Uh, as we experience the things that have gone on in this last couple of weeks, God, we know that you are in control and that there's a reason for it, God. You tell us not to worry. We don't want to worry. We want to trust in you. So let this Advent season be um, a looking back to the great things that you have done, the ways in which you um, have set up our redemption, uh, the gospel to be shared. And let us look forward, God, to your return when everything will be made right. And in between, God, let us not just sit here We want to be used by you. We want to be your hands and feet, God. And so let us go and share and encourage one another and love one another. God, we thank you for um, your precious word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This message titled God's Perfect Timing was given by Pastor Tim Thetford at Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. This message is the second of four in our Advent series titled When Love Came Down. For more information and resources from Christ's community, please visit us at www.ccclh.org.